Welcome to the Woke Blokes Podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Woke Blokes Podcast. It's Ryan here again with Nico and our special guest, Matt from Mindful Oz. Matt, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Well, I shouldn't say I'm good. I'm going all right. I am, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, my wellness and everything's in a good place, but obviously some recent circumstances um, have me feeling a little bit uneasy, but I'm, uh, I'm definitely happy to be here with you too, that's for sure. Um, we're happy to have you, mate. We're pumped. And, um, and, and, and Nico, you've got, for those listening and not watching on YouTube, you've got I Love Ryan written on your whiteboard behind you there. Is this, is this like your affirmation that you look at each morning? I'm just imagining like, you know, you know how Rocky used to look at uh, Ivan Drago in the mirror, but with hatred, but with you might have a picture of me on your bathroom mirror, but with there's, love. There's no hate in here, Hass. There's just no love. hate in here. It's only love. It's, uh, <laughs> I was actually, I, I think I just put it up there to see what your ego would do. Would it be like, And, oh, and oh. It, it looked at that before anything else. <laughs> 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 this, there was like this ripple washed over you and you sort of settled into a just a bit of a niceness there yeah 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 it's so funny um because i even have it's only when i really started the uh the center for healing that i started calling myself like introducing myself as ryan because like my name being ryan hassan like i was called hass like my whole life like growing up like hass was just my name and even when i got married to my ex-wife Literally, people I'd known for years got invites, and they're like, "Who the fuck's Holly marrying Ryan?" <laughs> like people, people didn't even know my first name, yeah. and um, it, it wasn't until I started the center where I'm like, "I better be a bit more professional and um, uh, you know start using the first name." So even I'm integrating my own first name. Which is you go. Hey Matt, you, you pr- I don't know if you've listened to many episodes of the podcast or not. I mean, I'm sure you have. I'm sure you've done your homework diligently for the last 24 hours of just, <laughs> just sitting in a woke bloke's cocoon. Um, but we we tend to do a little idiom at the start of each show, and I think we just came up with one earlier, which was right up my alley. And so we try and just quickly, because we've got a lot of stuff we want to talk about today, but, but quickly, Matt, who was the first person that would have used that sentence and where were they? Just just let your imagination wander. Somewhere in time, somewhere in history, somewhere on planet Earth, and this person <laughs> is the first person to say, that's right up my alley. What was the circumstances and who were they? You know, the first thing that comes to my head when you say that, and this is, an, in, this is a beautiful look into my brain, is um, the Milky Bar Kid. Who just walked into the? He just walked into the the bar, full of uh, cowboys and and all the rest of it. And he, there's the milky bars, and he's like, "Yeah, they're right up my alley." <laughs> right, right. Did, did, That's the did, first place my mind just went. Did he? Awesome, I love it. Did the milky bar kid have a special alley that he would? Because I had in my head there was a little alleyway in between houses, uh, just around the corner from my joint where I was growing up, you know. And it was we would walk through there all the time. But I'm like right up my alley. Like it's a good thing. Like I feel like everyone used to have yeah. their own special alley. I like I like I like where the milky bar kid used it. But why why the term alley? Why why is it? Where does it? How does it construct? What if his girlfriend's name was Ali? 
<laughs> and there's a cowboy in there who's sleeping with him. And he had You've a been he had, right he had, up my alley. He had, he had a really kinky, <laughs> sexy, that's it. kinky that's sexual it. life with her. I think that's it. I think that's how it's done. Hey, who wants to come and get right up my alley? That's the best. Yeah, right. That's the best. So that's the Milky Bar, the Milky bar kids bar walked into the saloon. Push the doors open and go on. I'm looking for someone to come and get up my alley. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Right. And, and now we're into it, so that's why it's a positive I th- thing. I thought the Milky Bar kid was so innocent, and now I don't. Oh, I don't at all. Yeah. Apparently not. <laughs> all what right. a way to start. No. I'm, gl- I'm glad we sorted that out. Um, that, yeah. that, that, that will be the most important thing we talk about all episode, I'm exactly. sure. Yeah. Um, but Solved another riddle. Matt, for those who, and a lot of, I know, you know, my kind of audience and people who follow the Centre for Healing, a lot a lot will know who you are and, and about Mindful Oz, but for those that don't, um, just give us a bit of a rundown of your story. You started a non-for-profit Mindful Oz um, years ago now, and, and, and what did that come off the back of? Yeah, so unfortunately my journey um, with, I guess, yeah, I work in the field of mental health and, and prevention, health promotion, all that sort of stuff now. And uh, I guess my journey started um, at the ripe old age of 12 when I would lose, you know, my first mate to suicide. And between the ages of twenty and uh, 12 and 29 that I am now, I've lost a further nine friends to suicide. So I guess anyone that goes through that um, gets to a point where they recognize that they've probably got some experiences that they could share for the betterment of others. And I guess that's how the journey started. And you know, I, I had no interest in running a charity and I guess if I had known what I was getting myself into, he might have looked a little bit differently. And uh, But that's that's how the cookie crumbled for me. And now I started a Facebook page in January of 2016 called Mindful Oz and it purely it was, um, you know, for being mindful of those with a mindful. So it was a platform for people to share their experiences in hope that they would encourage someone else to change the narrative around what it looks like to live and be well no matter the situation or challenge. So you know, it was my rediscovery of hope visible in other people's kindness that led me to a place of wellness that enables me to sit in this chair right now. So for me, it was just a platform to hopefully provide that same level of hope, healing and recovery, acceptance um, and kindness that I received that enables me to be well um, for millions of people around the world. And uh, yes, nine months later, the page had um, turned into a not-for-profit charity, which now we work on high-risk areas of diagnosis and suicide right around australia so we work in regional and remote communities we work with youth so children and youth i should say because we work with kids as young as three right up until you know mid-20s mm-hmm. and we work in uh, blue collar industries or for the lack of a better word we work with football clubs um sporting clubs construction farming industries where suicide numbers are high and where it's um, very difficult and um not as accessible to get help from professional services and support so yeah, we um, what are we now? Four years, close to four years as a non-for-profit, and uh, yeah, shit, it's gone quick. But um, yeah, it's just a, it's just a pretty beautiful thing to be able to go through what you've gone through and to be able to channel that for something better. And I know that I probably wouldn't be here if I wasn't able to do that. So I'm very grateful for the platform that we've gotten, grateful for every single person that values the work that we do, um, with kids, with parents, with teachers, with communities, and um, yeah, mate, it fills me full of joy and keeps me feeling alive and bouncing out of bed every single day knowing that uh there's more always more to be done yes i'm taking over shut up um so i i love how we keep finding and introducing each other to more people working in the mental health field and and i'd i'd never come across matt's work so it's this 
there's so many people in this industry and uh, have you heard of trade Matt? matt yes i have i've met yep. the boys in uh, queensland Okay, yeah, yeah, so Dan and Ed. So I started working with Dan and Ed when they just first launched, um, and then Jeremy Forbes from Holt. Yeah. The, the sort of, we all got together and had a dinner one night, and we were just sort of discussing about how there's so many people trying to do the same thing and achieve the same goal, but we're all in different narratives, we're all disconnected. Are you, are you finding that? Are you, are you finding it easy just to do it by yourself or are you trying to work in with other people? Or? Oh, no, definitely try and work in with other people where possible, mate. And like you said, people have different narratives and people have different motives as to why they started this, unfortunately, as well. Um, I mean, they might have started out of the right place at their heart, but somehow they've got lost along the journey. So there's plenty of people that I agree with and there's plenty of people I don't. So... I mean, we try and align with the values in which want to reflect the behaviours that we want to put out into the world. And I think, you know, we work collaboratively with many different organisations and people, you know, you named Jeremy Forbes, you know, we've, he's just uh, reached out and helped me in the last couple of weeks with a, a different proposal that I was putting forward. And, you know, it might not be that we collaborate in terms of Holt and Mindful Oz, but there's things behind the scenes that are always happening and great relationships that I've formed with some really good people in this field of work. But yeah, I definitely think that collaboration is the key for us creating a, a more established and more stronger, powerful voice for people out there mm. so that they know what exists. I think that that's really important. And, you know, the more common that mental health becomes, which is the danger, the more people we're going to have jumping up in front of us trying to trying to do their part, which is a beautiful thing. But to know that my, um, Australia has some really good organisations out there right now and what they truly need is the help and support of the people that are passionate about the field. So, so when, when you say the more common mental health can become, do you mean the more understanding people are that they all have mental health? Because yeah, I think the more the more it becomes understood, the more um, the less stigma there is. There's going to be more people going, hey, I've got a story to tell. Hey, I want to get on stage. Hey, I want to create a program. I, help, I want to help people. And that's fantastic. But I would, as I've always said to anyone, and I wish someone had said to me that, to go and support the established. Yeah, because I, I, I've got a. I agree with some people as you do, and I disagree with some people as well. And I guess from my perspective, I see a lot of people talking about it, but I don't see many people trying to implement change and give people into society the tools and resources to better self-manage, to better self-regulate, yeah. to better be responsible for their well-being and. I'm just, I guess I'm a bit sick and tired of people smashing out the statistics and trying to yeah. drive guys out of fear into, you know, just, okay, come at it from a different angle and start educating them. All right, you've all got mental health. There's stuff you need to do to get in shape. There's stuff you need to do to keep it in shape. And this is this is what that looks like. Yeah, 100%, mate. And I, uh, I think that that's the role of any advocate out in the, in the country and that's where this society is sick is we have this one set menu for what help looks like because all we're doing is smashing everyone with, hey, if you're unwell, here's a number. Or, hey, if you're unwell, therapy and medication. What people need to understand is the menu for being well is thousands of things long, but nobody knows. Like I, I have ice baths and cold showers and everyone looks at me like I'm an idiot, but if only they could <laughs> there's understand no, There's what, no cookie-cutter system, is oh, I mean, it's, it, yeah, as you can probably tell, it makes me fired up because I, um, I agree with you. There's a lot of people out there that... Awareness is awareness is there. If 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 you obviously do not, you live under a rock if you believe that awareness ain't there for mental health and well-being. We know the stats. We know where to ring. We know all these things. People aren't ringing them for a reason. We need people to understand that the strength that they are can, that they can be to themselves happens here, 
when they understand what they can tap into and who they totally. truly are at the core. But the system at the moment, the awareness is just funneling people into a GP and then into a mouth care hair plan. And what I'm, and, and that'll work for some people, but what I'm hearing from nearly 100%, no, it would be 100% of the blokes that I'm working with is that that system didn't work for them. In fact, it actually exacerbated their condition. So for the mental health advocates who are advocating for people to go to their GP and get a mental health care plan, go on medication, what are you, what, 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 what are you trying to guide people into? I'm trying to change the narrative around what it looks like to, to live and be and that's, you know, making people aware in this country that the, 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 the core fundamentals to being a human being uh, a love, belonging, connection, contribution, growth, these sorts of things. And once we understand how the human being works, we can provide, show up and provide them what they need every single day because we all have what that takes. And it does, you know, by throwing them and handballing them to the next person and to the next person and throwing them through into a system that they get spat back out the other side, is not showing them the key fundamentals of what it looks like to be a human being. And that's love, belonging, connection, contribution, growth, um, creativity, all of these sorts of things. So... Yeah, if we and I think we're at a phase where the word you used was perfect, Matt, was menu. It's like there, there, there is this whole menu of options, but just not enough people are aware of it right now because there still are these set uh, pathways. And, you know, I found it um, in, the, in the rehab industry. And like you said, I, I tried to form, you know, because we were outpatient, I was trying to form some good relationships with people in the inpatient space. And... Um, like you said, I did end up finding some that were doing it for the right reasons. They were in it, they were in it for love and help the person. But the majority um, had got into it for the right reasons. But now it was just simply just let's churn out as much money as we can. Because what happens, you start something and you're on the ground floor and like, and all of a sudden you grow and then you have staff and then there's management and everything. And now all you see up here is not the person, but you just see a profit and loss sheet. And you're like, hey guys, last last month we were down this much, and then yeah. all of a sudden we've got rehabs ready for people to, you know, remortgage their houses and take out all the superannuation and this kind of stuff, and it becomes so clinical. And then their success rate is about ten percent, and it's like, what the fuck? Like I remember speaking to a uh, doctor's clinic early on when we started the centre. It was hilarious. Like me and Melissa went to all the healthcare clinics around us in Hampton just to let them know, hey, we're here. This is what we do. It is different, but you know, if there's a client that you think might be able to benefit as well as whatever you're doing, let us know. And we would have people get up and walk out on us. First of all, you had to bring the clinic lunch if you wanted to talk to them. So I was I was already pissed off because Melissa's like, oh, we've got to stop and get sushi for 20 people. I'm like, the fuck are we getting sushi for 20 people for? She goes, you have to bring them lunch or you can't even talk to them. I'm like... You've got to get okay. past the gatekeepers. I'm like, too, okay. And anyway, they start, they take like their four sushi rolls and after we start talking, just fucking leave the room. Yeah. And then the, the guy who ran the clinic just said, you know, you guys have got a fair bit of balls coming in here talking uh, about this stuff. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, we know that when we get a client coming in with a drug addiction, we refer, I won't name the place, but I said, we refer here. We have our referral pathways and they're fine. I said, that place you just mentioned has a 10% success rate. So you're sending them to a place where 90% of people are going to relapse within six months after getting out. So like, are you giving them the right care? And he didn't say too much after that. But it's like, this is when you start to realize that yes, there's all these referral pathways but now with the internet, 
you know, it's in it's in its very early stages, but people are starting to find, you know, I I, I had an email literally this morning from a client I'm working with, and she just said, and you know, I'm just I'm so glad I stumbled across your website, and that's sort of how people are finding these different avenues right now. That's so much better, has because I had the same thing. I was trying to force my way in to the old system, and yeah, I did the whole take subway and sushi, and it was just. It was fucking pointless. Well, it wasn't because I learned a very valuable lesson. Learned, yeah, yeah. Don't try and jam me my way in there. Just create a create a different system. And, and as yeah. you said, I someone agree. came across your website. Someone s- saw me driving down in my MindFit branded truck and found my website. Mm-hmm. And Matt, I was going to ask you. You know, the definition of madness is doing the same thing and expecting a different again. result. So we can't realistically and rationally and logically expect the suicide rates to decrease using the same tired old system, can we? No. no. So that's where has, we need to start educating the market and educating people that there is alternatives to what they well, one of the, the best One of the best quotes I ever heard was from Dr. Bart Andrews, who's uh, one of the most renowned psychiatrists in the world, and I've spent a lot of time with him in America, and he said to me, Matt, when we see a lot of mental illness being expressed, it's a sign the community is sick, not the person itself. That there sums up exactly where we're at as a country, um, and that there sums up exactly what the, the, the human being in, in this country is lacking, and that's for everybody to show up with love, belonging, and connection. Connection, yeah, yeah. There was a really interesting study I read about people who have schizophrenia, and um, it was the uh, a list of like the uh, what are the key factors of people who have schizophrenia, and um, you know you would make all these assumptions as to what they might be, and and the number one determining factor was they were an immigrant. So they'd come from another country into a different culture and were having trouble connecting and started yeah. developing schizophrenia, which is a serious mental disorder. Well, I just know from my own journey, mate, and living with bipolar disorder, the thing that, you know, um, where I went horribly wrong was, you know, I, I know that I've always had the love and support of my friends and my family. That's always been there, belonging and connection, you know, maybe there was a disconnect there. But everyone's always like, well, you've always had the best of everything. So how does your argument for love, belonging and connection stand up? when you're you've always had that and i said but yeah but knowing it and showing it are two different Mm. things so i I always knew it but i wasn't always seeing it and they're two very fundamental different things and that's what's happening in this country right now if i go around and get in an auditorium of people like i did this week and i say everyone throw your hands in the air if you care about the person sitting next to you yeah everyone throws their hands in there everyone leave your hand in the air if you've shown that person today 100 percent hands go down that's the, that's what's happening in this country right now the difference between how the, much we say we care i do the same is the difference Sorry, the I, 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 I do the same with with when i speaking i say everyone stick your hand up in there if you've got mental health in a room full of 100 blokes three people on average will stick their hand up and i say <laughs> what what do you go put your hand up i've got anxiety i've tried suicide i've got schizophrenia and I'm like, thank you for being so yeah. brave. Thank you for being brave and putting your hand up. But the reality is everyone in this room should have stuck your hand up because if you've got physical, if you've got a body, you've got physical health. If you've got a brain, you've got mental health. We've all got mental health. So this is the thing that shits me is that it doesn't shit me. It's just it's something we really have to work hard to change is to educate people that if, if you are ignorant to the fact that you have mental health, then you're, part you're of not the- in a position to look after it. Yeah. yeah, and even people with mental illness um, still have mental health. So there's still people, people with mental illness can still attend to their mental health 
and in those times where they're capable to, you know, look look after it and think, think in a way that they want to think, it's going to improve their way of life so much more than if they just go, oh, I've just got it, this is just how I am. Uh, I, I mean, we, we facilitate mental health first aid trainings here at Mindful Oz and I mean, we've got 24 people going through it today as well, which is a beautiful thing, but... I sit there and what I do is I take, when we're in person doing it, I have a whiteboard and I'm not a part of the training, but I just hear and notice what I listen and I scribble notes on the on the whiteboard because at the end I do 15 minutes of what I need, to, what I've seen and what we're going to change in this 15 minutes. And, you know, all day I hear suffer, 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 suffer. And I'm like, see what we're doing for this country and this world is every time you say that mental illness and these things, bipolar, depression, anxiety are a suffering, we are painting that picture for the next person who gets their diagnosis to go, well, I give up. I'm suffering. It's a life sentence. Instead of saying, hey, I live with bipolar disorder and it's a gift. Yeah. And if I, someone had told me that, I would have walked out of the clinic bounding uh, and with energy rather than believing for many years that I was a defect of humanity and that this was a life sentence. So, it's all about how it's framed for you, isn't and, it? Yeah, and that's the same with mental health and mental illness. We just need to reframe and change our language because it is not a suffering. Suffering's a choice. Um, and the choice that I made is not to suffer after many years. I sat there and did mm. suffer for a long time uh, because that was what I thought existed for someone with bipolar disorder. I thought that that's all there was to it, that I was living with something that I was a broken machine instead of a person whose needs weren't being met. How's this for a snapshot into society, though? When I asked that question at one meeting up in Swan Hill, who has mental health, a guy came up to me afterwards and he said, mate, it was a real interesting way that you asked who here has mental health issues. And I said, I didn't ask that question. He interpreted, he added on issues at the end of it because as soon as you hear mental health, there's this, such a strong link in society to add issues or illness or something after it. Yeah, it's a lot of people, a lot of bookings that I get receive, um, you know, Mindful Oz is a mental illness foundation. I'm like, we're a health promotion charity. Um, and they're like, oh, same, same. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. Oh, he's into semantics, Huss. He's into yeah, semantics. Yeah, uh, well. you know, yeah. that's, that's where we've got to reframe these things. I mean, yeah, a lot of people out there believe in that what they've got is an absolute burden and it doesn't have to be that way. There's a there's a really good TED talk. I haven't watched it in in years, but uh, I, I'm going to watch it again because it was it actually when I was uh, uh, going to TAFE doing the diploma, I was doing my mental health first aid, and it was the mental health first aid guy that actually showed this clip. And it's a TED talk. The names are Eleanor Longden, and I think it's the voices in my head. And um, and it was like at the end of the whole thing, and he showed it. I don't know why he showed it because he said, "Oh, this is just a bit of a out there interesting way of looking at things." But I watch it and I'm like, this is an interesting out there way. This is the way things should be done. But anyway, her journey was uh, one of started getting voices in her head, which would start to narrate like she opens the door, she goes and sits down and all this kind of jazz. And then it started and she kept trying to, she told a friend about it, right? She was young. And so the friend said, oh, that's, that's something wrong with you. Like, don't listen to that. Try and, you know, push it away. Go and see a doctor. And so she went and saw a doctor, got put on medication. They're trying to make these voices go away. All of a sudden, it's obviously a part of her that's trying to 
tell her something that says she's suppressing. So now it's telling her to do bad stuff. And it's telling her to go and, you know, tip her water over the teacher at, at school's head. It's telling her to start fires. Uh, in the end, uh, it got so bad that in their house, the parents had to have plastic cutlery because she would use the cutlery to harm herself because the voices in her head would tell her that all the time. And anyway, this is where shit went on for years and she was told she's going to have to manage this forever. And then eventually, I don't know how, but she came across a therapist who just said, look, what if we just started listening to the voices in your head and give them the attention that they deserve? Right. Okay. I, I, I was. I, I remember sitting in the classroom, starting to tear up, where everyone else was like, "Oh, this is weird." Like, and I'm starting to tear up because all of a sudden, because I started listening to them, and and they had needs, you know, that I was ignoring for about ten years or however long it was, and because I was ignoring them, they kept getting more and more vicious and more and more harsh, and all of a sudden, she started listening to them, and she was, you know, obviously able to go off the medication, and she says, I still get the voices sometimes, but they don't ever tell me to do anything bad, and I, and she's actually started a non-for-profit called the, the Voices in Our Head to help people who have this same thing, not ignore this part of us and see it as defective, but to see it as a part of us that, that has an un unmet need. But that's very similar to A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe in it and on, on Dr. Nash. I mean, he, he ended up making friends with the voices. And I mean, it's the same thing with my core limiting belief system. I and mean, I believe I'm a burden on the world and that's why I do the work that I do. But when burden popped his, reared his head all the time, I'd try and kick back off him and, and ignore it. And I don't want to, you know, instead of now, when he rears his head, it's just like, hey, I know you're there and I know you think that I'm a burden, but what we've done uh, while I believed I'm a burden, it's been pretty bloody beautiful. So show your face keep showing up because together we can create magic for the world so but that's, you... that's the power of what can happen when we embrace instead yep. of push yeah and i think that's what so many people live in fear of this thing and this fear of being different or wired differently or having this thing they see it as that deficiency which we talk about has instead of embracing mm. it and incorporating it into their life and accepting it within the parameters of who they are and because mm. without that self-acceptance you can have no inner peace or contentedness correct no, because well, you, you create a shadow, like Carl Jung says. Yeah. You just create a bigger and bigger yeah. shadow that will just want more and more expression. Yeah. I mean, it's just like all the people that when as soon as I say, if someone walks through the door now with a cure for bipolar, I'm not interested. And people will go, well, that's bloody ridiculous. How can you say that? You know, all these people out there suffering and you, you're sitting there saying it's a gift. And I'm like, yeah, well, imagine if 800,000 people in Australia living with bipolar disorder turned around and said what they're living with is a gift. This world would be a better place. But instead, we've got 800,000 people believing that they're looking for a cure and they're holding on for the fact that there might be a cure one day. It's just that level of acceptance that I have. And when I learn to dance with it, create magic with it, maneuver with it and guide what I've got and, and know that it's crafted me into the person I become, all of a sudden my life's been fulfilling again and exciting again. And it's, I think that's the same with any shit you go through. It's, the world happens for us and not to us. Yeah. <laughs> Read this. What's that behind me? I love Ryan. Sorry. What's that say? Yeah, nothing, nothing happens, happens to you. you. You happen to you everything. Happen to everything. Yeah, there you right. go. I mean, that's what we, we, you know, I'm talking, I did a teacher development session this week and all the teachers like, I've got so many things going in my head. I'm too busy to do this, to do that. I'm like, tell me what some of those thoughts are. Reel them off as you feel them right now. Boom, 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 boom. I'm like, grab it, action it. Grab it, action it, and then watch your life just flourish because you've, you're not ignoring what's happening around you and the, and the action signals that the universe is throwing at you. Instead, you're going, hang on a minute. Yep, deal with it. Can I create something with it? Can I accept it? Can I remove it? Instead of just going, nah, don't want to hear it, don't want to hear it, don't want to hear it, drink, alcohol, addiction, whatever it looks like. So 
Do know? you think people are trying to do too much, though? People have got too much on their plate. They're chasing too much. There's such a lack of contentedness out there. It's always, I have to have more. I need more. I must be more. And, and that's creating all so much clutter in the head, which is creating alcoholism and blah, blah, blah. So yes. while all that's there and action it, are you also asking people just to stop and evaluate what's there and if they really need it? Yeah. Is it that important? 100%. But while you don't action anything, like if you just believe, like for me, that's why I love my meditation, stillness, breath work, cold exposure, all these sorts of things because they make the world uh, scream at me exactly what I do need. And you can action the things and go, okay, well, I don't need this right now, but I'll remove it. And by removing it, you've ticked it off. But by ignoring it, it's still there. It's just like a, a humming in your back of your head. So these things, you slow the process down. And the clarity and focus I have with someone that lives with bipolar disorder is a prime example of, of what you can do with the mind and the brain when you when you pay attention to it. And we've become so not being bored. We just want to do something all the time. And, you know, being bored is where genius is created. You know? I had I had a client once and she was so conditioned to conflict from early childhood to school to then at work. And we did some work and about six or seven weeks into it, she came one day and she goes, oh, I'm really bored when I ask how you are. And I said, oh, interesting. Tell me more about that. And as she was speaking, I started smiling. She goes, what are you smiling at? I said, I think you've mistaken peace for boredom. And because she was so conditioned to conflict when all of a sudden there was calmness and stillness and not all this inner clutter and anything she thought that was boredom but it was actually peace yeah we get we, we get the exact same thing yeah it's just like yeah i haven't felt it in so long and you just you just get mixed up you're like i and just feel i just feel neutral it's like yeah that's that's beautiful <laughs> beautiful yeah it's just like and that's what these things have become such a pain in the ass for because every yeah. time someone's bored they reach for that instead of when they're Fine. bored just be bored. Just be content yeah. with that. That's a beautiful thing to know that there's uh, there's time in the day to be bored because this is such a rat race that we're living in. And I mean, we're seeing it right now with everything that's happening is everybody is freaking out because they're like, shit, I've got to pause for the first time in my life and I've realized how much shit's going on in my head. Mm. You know, But for the people but they're, who they're are all operating on... and have that acceptance, they're going, this time's not so bad because I can... I've got so much more time in the day to do the things that I wanted to do because I've had a pause, but they don't have all the shit going on in their head because they've actioned it before. Mm. So many people are un- operating under this um, sense of duty or obligation. There's this massive I have to narrative that's pushing people forward and, and that's creating a, an inability for them to actually be still and just to go, all right, I don't have to do anything actually. Mm. And that comes such back a foreign to- concept. Yeah, 100%. And I think that comes back to value alignment, you know. Everyone's asking us to do different things and be different things and Black Lives Matter and protest for this and empowerment in Turkey and all this sort of shit going on. You feel obliged to do everything, but it comes down to your values. And, you know, we all have the same amount of minutes in a day, but it's like, does that align with who I am or what I need to be doing? And does is it a priority right now for me? But everyone just jumps at the bit to say yes, 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 and be, 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 instead of just going, okay, you know, I don't have time for that right now because I need to put time into who I really am so that my, I'm living in integrity, you know, when our values and behaviors align. But yeah, we just do, do, do and be, be, be instead of just sit, sit, sit. Well, S.N. Goenka said that we can't have peace in society until we've got peace within ourselves. And I think you're right that so many people are focused on changing humanity, changing society, but they're not stopping and working on all the 
tiny little cogs that create that, which is ourselves. So yeah. if we can all start focusing on ourselves and get ourselves in better health, better shape, you know, then out there will change. Yeah. Which is like you running Mindful Osman. I mean, I mean, the last four years, I mean, I know that you've, you've touched on a few things that have, you've been doing to help with your wellness, but I know that you've worked, you know, tirelessly on your own wellness because mm-hmm. you have to be well to be able to be there for the people that are run well. And that's the same with me and Nick for any therapist yeah. and that kind of thing. So I'd like to know sort of where, where your uh, headspace was at in maybe your mid-20s and then also what are some of the things that have led you to the wellness that you're at now um, sitting here with us today? Oh, yeah, mate. I mean, I think there's levels to the game and that sounds cliche. There's levels to anything we do. And, you know, once I've figured out that there was levels to this brain and p- parts of this that I haven't tapped into and to understand that every single day is another opportunity to, to, to achieve that, it um, makes life exciting again. I think for a long time I was, you know, believe you're a burden, failure and worthless on the world and therefore, yeah, you suppress that and numb that and you just, you're content with that because you believe that you watch everyone else sail past you and you go, well, fuck it this is this is how i've got to live for the rest of my life and you don't realize because you have that lack of understanding and education around how cool our brain is to know that fuck, i wasted a lot of time not putting time into myself and and i mean everyone sits there and looks at my journey and goes oh but it's taken you nine years to get to a place of wellness i said yeah but eight and a half of those were fucking around doing nothing <laughs> you know, it's, take, it's taken me you know uh, and that's probably an exaggeration but you know discipline it doesn't take that long. I've just put time and effort into myself every single day and I do it because I know how, how it feels to feel shit. I know what it's like to live at the bottom and I know I don't know what it's like to feel at the top and live at the top, but I want to go there. And with you, the skill set that you have and being able to give that back, you can take as many people to the top with you as possible. So, I mean, over the last 12 months, the things and how thorough my blueprint to wellness is and how I live every single day, has enabled me to live a life that I never thought was possible and achieve things that I never thought was possible. I mean, yeah, it's there's probably no humble way to say it, but it's just like when I get into my zone and do the work in here that I do, it's, uh, it's just some magic can happen. Some really, can, so you know, that's tap Socrates into- quote yeah. that that Socrates quote that ex uh, we are what we repeatedly do. So excellence, therefore, is a habit, not an act. And I think a lot of people get caught up in doing an act of meditation or an act of health or an act of well-being. But yes. as you're saying, it needs to be consistent practice. Consistent. It needs to be a disciplined practice. Yeah. I know exactly if I have a day off um, doing yeah. the things that I normally do. You know, I might, I won't go completely cold turkey on everything I do, but if I drop a few things out of my wellness plan every single day, and I understand that my brain's a lot different to other people's and, and everyone's is, but if I take a day off and start eating shit, don't exercise, don't jump in a cold shower, don't meditate, don't practice gratitude, I can guarantee tomorrow's crap. You know, and that's and that's that's the pro my brain's different than everyone else's. But that's the process you do by consistently doing these practices, you work out what works for you and what doesn't. Doing that stuff for me tomorrow and today and every day after that is not a chore. It's it's a want. And it's it's a want because I know that there's levels to this game and you know, 99 point something percent of people go to the go to the deathbed only tapping into 30 percent of their brain's cap, uh, capacity. So, I'm going to do whatever I can to be the uh, the exception and and live a life that I never thought was possible, just to show other people that they can do the same thing. It's funny when people look at their health and well-being that they only see it as a Monday to Friday job. Yeah. And on the weekends, I can relax. <laughs> I don't. I don't have to do it. I can. I can binge on the weekends. I can not look after my health and. It's, yeah, it's just like a I'll weird treat thing, myself. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a health is an everyday thing to, to tend to. It's like, yeah, try, try having a baby, boys. 
There's a, you forget all about that because it's not like it's not like, oh Tommy, it's Sunday. Can you please sleep in for another hour and a half? Doesn't I, work. Doesn't work that way. I had uh, the client I was, I was talking to you about before, and, and last week she was talking about how irritated she gets when her young girls wake up at five thirty in the morning and start playing. And I, I said to her, "All right, I want you for the next week just." Just get up and observe them and, and look at why you're grateful for the fact that they're getting up at 5.30 in the morning. And just that simple little shift and reframe. She was in tears in today's session because she goes, oh, my God. And then it just led to this flooding of gratitude for so many other things. And she was really embarrassed about how she hadn't seen it, how she couldn't see mm. how great a, a gift it was to have these girls playing at 5.30 a.m. Yeah, it's funny. These, So you said, Matt, and a lot of people, I've said this before as well, it's like, oh, how much time have I wasted? But it's like, I think we can only have these realizations when we're ready for them. Ready, and, that's You right. know, I, I had a, a client last week and she would be late 30s, maybe 40. And um, she just had a moment. We went back through an event and then she just she just burst out laughing and then after the laughing she just started bawling her eyes out crying and I'm like oh what's going on she goes I just realized that I've spent my whole life like my whole life just worrying about what other people think and that's been my main thing every single day and I can't believe I've done that for 40 years and I'm like do you realize that most people come to that realization on their deathbed (laughs) so I'm like you're ahead of most people just to be happy for the realization you're mm. on the path. That's that's the, that's the main um, thing. That's that's the thing, I guess, for a lot of people that don't want to embark on this wellness journey because they're like, oh, well, I've I've scaved through it now, and what I've done's all right. And it's just like there's no willingness or want to to tap into different parts of the brain. And I think that's where we've got to try and find ways and means to show people how beautiful it is when you do. Um, I think they're and, so content just in survival mode. Yeah, that's it's survival. That's exactly what it is. There's no fight mm. there. It's just it's just bathing in the crap that they're sitting in knowing that they can get through yeah I've just I've survived today I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'll survive tomorrow there's there's just such a disempowerment in that yeah and and that's what I've seen a lot of with the whole COVID thing I've been on podcast after podcast and they're like Matt how important is it to as an advocate to tell people right now that you know if all they do today is is just get out of bed that's a good thing and I'm like why are we telling people that why are we advocating (laughs) for shit what we should be advocating for is aim for, aim high and if you miss, you'll fall just below it somewhere. But if you aim for a shit day, you will achieve a shit day. So I think people do that because when they set the bar high, they do it as an expectation instead of a goal and it's really rigid and concrete and creates a failure mindset, mindset where we can set the bar equally as high but with an experimental goal-driven mind and it's, it's more movable. It's if we fail, we can re- step back and evaluate and assess and then reset the goal. Yes. But that's the thing. People set the bar so low because they're afraid of failure. Yeah. We, are, we are so um, accepting in this world, of, in this country or our communities of, of just being mediocre. We just sit there and say, you know, if this is all you can do, that's cool. And if COVID is something that we've never, ever been through, so if you get through the next six weeks and all you do is just get through, that's okay. It's just like, why are we painting that picture for people? <laughs> yeah, I got, I got, they're, they're, I'm loving the clients at the minute because they're like trying to get off drugs and alcohol and they're like, they're like at the start, they're like, this is like the stupidest idea, like trying to do this during COVID because it's going to be <laughs> the hardest time to do it. And I'm like, yeah, let's fucking do it because like, you know, it, 
if you could get off a drug addiction during COVID, imagine after COVID, imagine how high your self-esteem and confidence is going to be knowing that you did something in what you deem is to be the hardest circumstances to be able to achieve that. Yeah. I mean, I seen JK Rowling at one stage go for everyone out there pushing their agendas about how um, COVID should be a time where we can grow and use the pause and that to become better should should, you know, basically she was saying should shut up because you, you're, you're making everyone feel bad. And I'm going, yeah. <laughs> what, go write another book or something. Like, what are you doing? You're telling everyone just, that it's okay to be a heap of shit. Like that's what dangerous. What's really going on is this is, I think if you look beyond all of that, what you're really saying is classic human nature. People just want to stay in their comfort zones. People just want to be nice and comfortable. People don't want to have fucking cold showers. People don't want to get up <laughs> I don't at want to. 5 a.m. and push-ups. <laughs> but this is the thing. Like, once you override that old programming, that old narrative, those limiting beliefs, that conditioning, you push through that, then you see that that's where the magic happens. But... Yeah. 80% of society want to live in their comfort zones. Yeah. You build a healthy relationship with everything in your life that causes you stress, pain, discomfort, or a challenge. Essentially, your life's conquered. So, I mean, I don't like cold showers and I don't like ice baths, but, I mean, if I build a healthy relationship with them, the water temperature doesn't change. The, it never gets any easier, but my mindset changes, and that way I build this relationship where the cold is my friend. And that's the thing that we do with anything in life, and that's just one example, but people don't want to do two minutes of stress they'd rather live a lifetime of it and so it's just like for me it's a it's an easy trade like 26 minutes of exercise a day is 12 hours of good positive brain health i'm going well i don't really like these runners and i don't like getting chafed but i'm going to do it you know these yeah. are the things that we've got to change and people don't understand that they'd rather go oh yeah no running's not for me or meditation might i just can't meditate it's my head's too busy and it's just like just continue doing what you're doing. Can't come and do two hours of it then. Yeah. I have the same thing when I'm when I'm running my meditation classes. I do Vipassana, so sitting in stillness. And people look at that and go, oh, that looks really peaceful. I'm like, you don't know how fucking hard you're working oh, internally yeah. just to, to yeah. not move a muscle. Like it's, it's excruciating sometimes. But it's like, like the people who say I can't meditate because um, I can't sit still. It's just like that's the last thing that you need to worry about in meditation is sitting still because you're just putting so much time and effort into actioning things that's the beautiful part of it seeing things and hearing things that you didn't know existed instead of they're worried about my oh i'm sitting on it i'm i can't sit still for five minutes it's just like wow, wow that's where we're at. <laughs> i bounce between doing meditative exercise and then meditation so i i use sitting in stillness for um, helping people to, to let go of their attachments and expectations and to, to develop some discipline um, but then we'll bounce out of that and we'll go and do some juggling or slow walking mm. so essentially I'm just trying to help people to be present and just to observe and that's what yeah. the sitting in stillness does is observe that sensation it's not pain it's not pleasure it's not it's just observe it and realize if it doesn't feel good it's going to go away soon mm. but if you become so reactive to it as soon as you feel discomfort you go oh ouch and you try and move away from it and you're doing that on that micro level then imagine what you're going to be doing out here in the in the, in the real world no 100 percent, and like you said before anyone who doesn't want to can't sit still for five minutes will do it for 10 then so yeah exactly that, exactly they need Matt, Matt, tell us about this new project that you've just started up, Reflecting and Ascending. I'm, uh, I'm excited to hear about it. What's the origins of it and what's it all about? 
Yeah, so I just really, mate, uh, there's a uh, playing the, the space of prevention every day, it looks like, but uh, and telling my story and things like that, you know, you get to a place where, as I say, when I walk out on stage, I, if all that comes of this today is that someone else can looks at me and goes, I can do a better job than that bum, well, then I'm happy because I don't want to be up here telling my story all the time. It's still something that I would, you know, prefer not to do, but I do it because I see the, the need for it. However, um, I just got to a place where what really fuels me is not playing in the, at the bottom of the cliff. What fuels me is shifting people's mindsets and empowering them to understand the different skill sets that are, that are available to them when they tap into the person of who they really are. So, you know, I want people to engage with themselves, the people they love and the people around them from a place of inspiration. And I want to do that by teaching people about the strengths of who they are, their values, um, communication skills, um, the growth mindset, all these sorts of things that have enabled me to get to a place of wellness and completely remove myself from a uh, conversation around suicide. I mean, I, I, I'll, mindful is always there. It'll always be my baby. It'll be the thing that I sit back and, and continue to put time and effort into. However, the stuff that really fuels me and drives me is, is getting people at the top of the cliff. And that's, that's showing people the beauty, uh, the beauty of who they really are as unique as they are and helping them, I guess, flex the, um, the muscles of their emotional struggles. So, so it's more so it's more you stepping into this space of more working with people one on one based on what you've learned over the journey. Yeah, as I mean, opposed I've had to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, for for a long time there, I was in this mindset that I had to do things by the masses, and you know, while it's really good to hit the numbers that I do, you know, I really want to work with the people who really want to be worked with, and then like like the work you do, you know, you want to be there with the people that are throwing their hands up and going, hey, I want to be better. And whatever that looks like, if you want to be better in business, let's do it. Like, you know, there's tools and strategies and techniques that I use that are good for all different, um, you know, personal and uh, career, whatever it looks like. So, you know, I just want to engage in the people that really want to be worked with and work with them um, closely and, and thoroughly over a period of time. So, you know, I mentor a couple of people at the moment and I thoroughly enjoy it and I see the impacts that they go out and make in the world. And essentially that's what I want to be able to do is give all my skill sets back to other people um, and take, they can take what they know, leave what they don't like and uh, go on and do heaps of good work and be the person or make the difference in the world that they were born to make. So, you know, that's what really fuels me. And yeah, I'm really, you know, loving the programs that we've got. A lot of it's self-discovery for both women and men. Um, rebooting your life is like uh, other programs like that. And, you know, just self-discovery, like I said, just working on the person that we are and becoming the best version of ourselves and, and knowing who that person is first and foremost because a lot of us mm. don't even know our strengths, we don't know our values and we don't actually know who we truly are at our core. So, mm. yeah, I like playing in those fields. Yeah, I love it, mate. I love it. I love it. And um, I also want to talk about, because, you know, me, me and Nick have talked a lot on this podcast. Like we work with, um, you know, on a, on a micro scale, we work with like sort of broken adults. I don't like the word broken, but you know, like pe- pe- people who, who need this work and everything. But if we're looking long-term, like 30 years down in the, in the future, like how are we going to, um, you know, create a lot less issues with you know, mental health addiction and all that kind of jazz. And me and Nick have spoken about, you know, we need to be getting kids young and teaching them about this stuff and teaching them about emotions and uh, vulnerability and being in a safe space to be able to open up about these things. And I know that you've piloted a program and are now looking at expanding a program for kids, uh, I believe, primary school age. Yeah, mate. We're even working with kids as young as three in kindergartens at the moment, which is a really beautiful thing. So healthier hearts and lighter minds is the program and it, it aims to do exactly that 
Um, we work with the five core human emotions in the in the face, which is joy, fear, anger, disgust, sadness, with the six being shock and surprise. Um, and there's years and years of evidence around that. So we just tap onto that and tap into that and to create the dialogue for these young kids, these young champions that show us the true meaning of life, to find ways and means where they grow up and un- be able to identify their emotions in themselves and others, control their emotions with a range of different techniques um, and express their emotions with a range of different techniques or find this help and support that they need. So I think it's really important that they work out and find ways to articulate what they experience. I think there's a lot of men and you know, men get harshly criticized for being the ones that don't want to speak out, but there's enough evidence to suggest that uh, the spaces held for men are ones of recoil. So we have to find ways in which these men know how to express their emotions or articulate their emotions in a, in a way that doesn't make people recoil. Um, but a, lot of, a lot of the time, blokes will struggle being vulnerable. And that's, I think, what you're really going to teach these kids is to create a space to be vulnerable in and to, to feel safe enough to express their emotions. But I've working with so many blokes who say, well, I try and tell my partner, I try and talk to someone, and they just run straight over them. They run straight over their emotions. So then they go, well, fuck it. I, I tried. I, I yep. put myself out there, and you don't listen, and I'm not heard, or you say I'm an idiot, or you call me poof, or I'm weak. You know, I'm just going to retreat and shut these bastards down again. That's why it's <laughs> such a long-term thing. It's, it's like this, because like, it's like... You you, you you teach these kids in schools, right? All these beautiful tools, techniques, and, and understanding around emotions. Then they come home to emotionally unintelligent parents. So yeah. you, you can't you kind of got this, you know, that they're getting two different messages. Because one of the main issues is that emotions get shut down in the home. It's okay. like you know, as as a boy, we start to have a tantrum. It's like you know, that's bad, bad, bad. Go sit in the corner. So all of a sudden, we learn to just suppress, suppress, suppress. So now we're teaching the opposite in schools. But it's like eventually, and, and then so if you're talking about Nick a, a grown man and then their wife like that's their wife just got that emotional unintelligence as well because she probably saw that from her father when she was younger well is it is it that though or is it and this is at the risk of triggering women's lib is it more a feminine thing because they tend to put their emotions before a man's emotions it's they're more emotionally driven creatures they will why are we talking about your feelings we should be talking about my feelings because that's what i'm here that can work both ways Mm. there's a huge amount of evidence right now and there's brene brown's been doing it for a long time there's a lot of evidence around the fact that um when men um are posed with the question of how they're feeling or talk about their thoughts feelings and emotions they will normally jump at the opportunity to but it's the space held from like we talked about and what it shows that evidence is so clear as day that shows Renee Brown um, and she talks about it a lot is how that women when they have their partner tell them their thoughts feelings and emotions they recoil and run away from that conversation immediately after they ask the question because of the fear of having a feeling like they're got to be a parent to them instead of a partner to them and they don't want a man that they have to be a mum to so that's why men recoil in the fear of having conversations with women and that's where it's we're harshly criticised a lot of men for not being open about our thoughts, feelings and emotions because for some reason I can talk to men and I bet you two as well can and they'll quite comfortably talk to me about their thoughts, feelings and emotions. But for some reason, it's, it's like they don't the find that comfort in many like other places. Open. Yeah. Correct. Thing, I Absolutely. I mean, I'll tell my story to as many people as humanly possible if they're willing to hold space for it. So we need to teach people, it's got to be a two-found effect, teach people how to hold space for others and then teach the others how to 
communicate and tap into it and connect with and express yeah. others that they've and got. and relationships are the hardest because like there's there's a dynamic in the re- in the relationship and so that dynamic has been fairly solid for people for 5 10 15 20 years however long it is and now like I'm going through something similar now because I'm starting to create some different boundaries for myself um, in the relationship and so now um, Melissa has to sort of integrate my new boundaries now she obviously is pretty woke herself so she understands that's what's going on and she will do her work to integrate that but when people aren't aware of this stuff all they see is my partner changing the dynamic of the relationship and that's very uncomfortable to me hang on he hasn't spoken about his emotions for fucking 20 years now he's pouring his heart out to me that's a massive dynamic change and that's going to shake her up completely yeah and if she's not willing to be able to hold that space that's why it's going to create issues i believe i'm having something similar but different where my partner tells me to stop being so sensitive and that's a misinterpretation on her behalf is I'm just expressing my needs or whatever but then I'll have I'll have an an emotion I'll be disappointed or I'll be frustrated or something and then she turns out and uses it against me and says oh that's just you not getting what you want Mm. and I'm like and then that just fucking crushes me even more yeah well I'm like I'm in a different scale because I don't have a partner but this is so relatable and I don't it's vulnerability in myself sharing this but the last three people that I've uh, gone on dates with or seen have all said the same same thing to me Matt I'd be too cold for you you're too sensitive and yeah. I don't know that I could deal with someone that uh, speaks so openly about their thoughts feelings and emotions like I'm too cold for you like that's my problem that's like that's something yeah, that I need yeah. to go and deal with like yeah, yeah. this is this is what's happening for me in the dating world as a, as a man because girls don't want to hold the space for someone who is so open and honest about what they experience whereas but I think what Hass said earlier made so much sense is they don't want another child like to, to look after they want a man who is emotionally self-sufficient and doesn't have any needs whatsoever mm. and is just I am here for you I'm the rock I'm your rock and that's their misconception though because someone who shares their emotions and so like I mean you know I am emotionally just, just like I yeah I've got it all intact I'm just someone who's open and honest self-sufficient yeah. but yet they see it as oh he shared his emotions no no, no go zone red flag <laughs> you know and that's that's the misconception you know someone well, who talks about their feelings the emotions is self-sufficient it's the people that stand there and pretend like I don't own a bag of shit and my life's sexy just the way it is that's not self-sufficient because every single person has a bag of shit and it's not sexy to hide it but that's, well, that's the misconceptions we're having right now. Yeah, we're, we're all experiencing the same things, but some of us are okay expressing it and communicating. It. Other people are hiding it, and because they don't want to be weak or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like, what? How, how attractive would it be to be with? And I'm not just saying this about me. I'm saying it about anyone in the world. But it's just like, how attractive is it to be with someone in your life that actually can uh, action and know what they're experiencing and can be open about it so that you can share it together rather than have someone who just goes and deals with their shit and blows blows off over there and cracks the shits and I, stems no, it with I, addiction I or whatever called, it looks like. I think that's called intimacy and I, I, I may be wrong but I reckon it's called intimacy and I reckon that's pretty key in a relationship as well. It creates a bit of depth to a relationship. I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up somewhere. It's, <laughs> it's non-existent in a lot of them. Well, it's not but people think intimacy is just shagging having yeah. sex people think intimacy is just a physical thing but intimacy is is both opening that space and stepping into it and being yeah. vulnerable and going this is how i'm feeling oh by the way how are you feeling mm-hmm. oh and checking in on each other i i am looking after your heart and and here is my heart and, mm-hmm. and 
can can you look after my heart as well? And exactly right. If that's missing, that's that's just that's so lacking. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's just it's just scary for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because people like me, who you know, there there isn't a part of my journey you can't find if you just go, you just Google it. Yet, so. yet I've got to somehow go. Well, shit. If I want to date, do I have to go back into Michelle and pretend that all this never happened? Do I? And they're like, <laughs> people are like, oh, did you tell them that you do what you do for work? I'm like, of course I fucking did. And they're like, well, you shouldn't have done that. She'll run for the hills. And it's just like, well, <laughs> and it's not what I want, you know. But this yeah. is what this is what's happening because men are led to believe that, oh no, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have showed any sort of. Uh, she'll find your your past, and I'm like, well, imagine yeah. finding someone that's owned their past. Jeez, that might be. They're gonna find it eventually. Yeah, I'm like, like that must be scary knowing that someone's had a shit past, but they've gone on to do beautiful things with it. But instead, it's like, no, nah, you should have just left the past in the past. Like it is what it is. It's, it's this image that we're trying to hold up. It's it's right now because we're in Thailand and we have uh, cars um, back home. So we're using a. There's a company called Car Next Door, and you can basically rent your car out if you're not using it right it's like someone books your car for two days and there's a lockbox near the car and they anyway they borrow your car anyway so <laughs> Mel's cars an, an Audi A5 it's like a nice car and anyway I was always I was interested as to who was uh, borrowing it and you know sometimes because it's near Mel's mum's house and Mel's brother would go out and help him with the key and that kind of thing and and just as I suspected it was young men uh borrowing the car to take girls on dates and then they would have to keep borrowing it the next date because they couldn't be seen <laughs> to rock up in their shitty little Mazda or something and, have to, and I'm like at some point bro you get, when we come back you're going to have to stop borrowing the Audi but it's this persona that we want to show up that you know I'm successful and you know blah 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 and in, look, look at my car instead of my emotions yeah. but, but for those of us that are sensitive and okay with sharing things and open and vulnerable that gets mistaken f for a weakness instead of a strength. Mm. And this is what emotionally immature people or emotionally retarded in a literal sense, closed off people, shut down people, see us being expressive and, and going, oh, you're just, you're just being soft or blah, blah, blah. But it it's, it's, takes so much more strength to expose yourself and go, here is my heart. You know, have at it mm. than to try and hide and protect it behind barbed wire and machine guns. Which is why I think we're heading in the right direction. It's just slow because it's like yeah, with with programs like yours, Matt, in schools, kids are actually getting the right information about emotional intelligence, which is something that I know when I went through school, my God, there was none of that going on. Nah, right? nice. So so we're getting the right information there. Okay, then we have the home environment, and there's more and more adults now that are becoming aware aware that everyone's got mental health. Why? Because you know sports stars are talking about it yeah I hate that it takes things like that but you mm. know a footy player will come out and they'll seem to be seen to take it more seriously so their story is starting to understand so all of a sudden these kids that are now learning in schools who are three five seven years old you know one day they're going to be parents and they're going to be able to teach the home environment a lot better emotionally plus there'll be still more emotional stuff going on in schools because it's going to be so successful so it's like it's going to feed off itself i think i think it's just going to be a, a 30 year process oh if not longer but yeah i yeah, mean the, the idea is generational for sure. yeah that's why we have to just bleed new young waves of young champions who show up in the world just the way they are, but with a better understanding of who they are so they can be more of themselves, believe in themselves and love themselves a little bit more. Because what we're doing at the moment is 
you know, these kids show us the true meaning of life and that's to have bounds, to have courage, to have an imagination to create and to not give a shit about what other people think. But as soon as we get a little bit older, we, we lose all that. And as adults lose all that ability um, and because society paints us in a way that we should behave and act. Whereas, you know, as I'm saying today to people that are whinging, bitching, carrying on about COVID on the internet, it's just like some see someone with a different opinion to you, take a backward step and just go, okay, isn't it beautiful that there's other people in the world that think differently to me? Isn't it great that we're not all the same and just have a breather. But yet we try and paint this picture that you have to be like that. You have to do like this. And therefore these kids with beautiful imaginations and so much creativity and, and energy about themselves just get smacked on the head because uh, we have led to believe that we have to be something, but they also don't know how to articulate what they're experiencing when they're experiencing it. Yeah, so true. Nick, we've lost your audio. You're talking, but I can't hear you. <laughs> I'm sure it's very, very beautiful stuff, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably be still recording on um, on Thingo. Anyway, we're just about coming up on time anyway. Matt, uh, where can people find you? Where, what channels? Where can they get in touch? Yeah, just all the social medias. You'll find me at Matt Runnels. Um, uh, mattrunnels.com is the website as well which i'm doing all the new stuff and there's online programs and things that we're doing and obviously there's charity at mindful oz which is um you know we're always looking for people to join in the the ways in which we're trying to achieve uh, more resilient communities and yeah, it's a pretty beautiful thing to be working with all these kids so as i always say don't just uh, follow the journey let's see how we can do things together and reach out if there's ways in which we can change the world together so um yeah, yeah. Uh, there's the best is yet to come yeah, and I think that it's just it's this connection piece, you know. I remember um, that event that you hosted that you invited me out to speak mm. to down at Warragul and um, obviously for very tragic reasons, someone in the community, a young fella had committed suicide and, you know, it's those things where you have a room of 300 people, whatever it was, but by the end, everyone feeling um, very connected that we're all on this journey together of just trying to um, work out how to be a human and, and uh, get through this thing in, in a happy, healthy space and connection is, is such an important part of that. Yeah, it's a pretty beautiful thing when you can just have, as we did that day, you just have some blokes that are just everyday blokes like you and me rock up on stage and tell their truths and it encourages more and more people to do so. So, you know, it's uh, unfortunately we we met in tragic circumstances at that event, but hopefully that we can create events where people in the numbers, four five hundred like did that day in regional communities can show up and go, this is important to me and I don't want to be on the other receiving end or sitting 15 rows back, four seats across at a funeral like I have. So, hmm. you know, hopefully we can be proactive in our approach to change and what the world looks like, not only for ourselves, but the next generation of young legends. Love it, mate. Love it. And you're a legend yourself, mate, and we're so happy to have you on today and really, really appreciate the work that you do and I really appreciate our friendship. And um, I appreciate not hearing Nick for a bit, to be honest. I'm uh, <laughs> really enjoying this little last bit of the podcast. Oh, no. He's rubbed yeah. out the love heart of Ryan. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I, Ryan. That's profound, actually. Uh, <laughs> All right, mate, we'll uh, let you get back to it. And, mate, once again, we appreciate you and your work and we encourage anyone listening to get in touch with uh, uh, with you and your work. Awesome, lads. Thanks for having me and uh, continue to do the work you're doing because it's making the world a better place. So thank you. Beautiful, brother. Peace out. Cheers. Thank you for tuning into the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much and we'll see you all next time.